Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Speaker, Lawrence A. from Arlington, Virginia, and we thank God he's here. Uh, He will share his experience, strength, and hope for approximately 10 minutes on the topic, How to Get Progressive Victory. Um, So without further ado, I'll let Lawrence begin. Thank you, William. I am Lawrence, and I am grateful to be recovering in this program. Hi, everybody. How to get progressive victory. How to get any victory, forget progressive, is for me one temptation at a time. And uh, I spoke a little while ago in one of the other panels about this. I have no power on my own to not take the first drink. So from the very beginning, if I think that I'm going to white-knuckle or tough out any lust temptation, I'm on my way to a binge. So to get victory over any temptation, I have just, I've got to picture that I'm in a courtyard and all, there are 16 executioners around me with their Kalashnikovs all pointed at me. And I'm in the middle and I can't reach anyone. And what do I do in that situation? If I go after one of the Kalashnikovs, the other 15 are going to fire. And um, I really am powerless. I have got to ask for divine help, supernatural help, spiritual help, whatever you want to call it. And the victory will be given to me, but it will be the victory of the God of my understanding. So what does this progressive victory mean? It's, it's the thing I think that uh, confounds people in SA more, more than most things. We, we say that we have a firm and clear bottom line, and that includes progressive victory over lust. But I think, you know, I have these the results of the lust questionnaire that we did at the uh, Maryland Convention in the summer. If you haven't gotten one from one of the other sessions, you can pick one up here. There are, there's a wide variety of opinions on what progressive victory means. I think even in your own home meeting, if you, if you ask ten people, you'll get seven or eight different answers. Just the other day in one of the meetings I attend in Virginia, the answer came from someone who has a lot of years in the program. Two steps forward, one step back. That's progressive. And um, I thought that was... Progress, because my thought about progressive victory over lust when I first came into the program was tomorrow. 
<laughs> Whatever that lust thing is, tomorrow, I just want to stop masturbating, I want to stop acting out anonymously. Those are the things I want to stop, behaviors. But um, the more I thought about it, there are other S-fellowships out there that focus on behaviors. And they say, well, you know, this is the behavior I'm powerless over. If I stop doing that behavior, I'm sober, I'm home, I'm where I want to be. But what attracted me to this fellowship was that we understood that our problem was not our behavior. Our behavior was a manifestation of our problem, which was a lot deeper and it was lost. So what do I do about that? Well, I had to start paying attention to it. And I didn't for a long time. I was all about, tell me what the technical rules are, give me the checklist, and I'll try to move all the check marks, put all the check marks in, but I still get to have my cookie. And um, that led me into a huge relapse and to the point of suicide. And I realized afterward that I needed to understand that long before I engage in any of the behaviors, if I drink in lust, I've already lost my capacity to, to control anything. I'm already drunk, and I have it has the same effect on me as, as, as acting out. I'm stuck in shame. I can't face anyone. I'm irascible. I'm, I'm, I'm just filled with shame, rage, all of the things in between. So it is true that the drug is lust, and when I drink lust, I'm drunk. But the problem was, I mean, I knew some of the super uh, surface things about lust. Yeah, well, okay, if I, if I watch pornography willfully, I'm lusting. Again, behavior. You know, so I tried to sort of come up with a checklist. Well, okay, a few more can't-dos. And I came to the conclusion that it really wasn't about that. It was about what was going on inside me and what was my attitude, my inner attitude, about it. And if I had that attitude of, I don't care, I'm just going to do it. I've just got to have it, I've got to take the drink, I don't care. And I think that I don't care is probably more of a bellwether than anything else. If I get that attitude, I can feel my will rise up. God is completely out of the picture. The only thing that matters at that moment is, I'm going to figure out a way to get that. And then, cover it up and look sober, or, or claim sobriety, go into the meeting. But the truth is, I don't want to face anybody because I know I'm lying to myself. At least this is, this is what happened to me. And I was sharing uh, earlier in another meeting that when I left the program to go out and do research for eight years, um, when I crawled back in, I had spent five months in and out of adult bookstores, and in and out of restrooms where people were acting out, but I didn't touch. And I said, well, and I actually told this to people with a straight face twice. I said, you know, I can't act out with you because I'm a sexaholic and I've got to maintain my sobriety. <laughs> and they looked at me like, what planet have you just dropped off of? I mean, what a witness for the program, right? You know. <laughs> Progressive victory over lust. So that progressive victory over lust was, was getting me right to the point of wanting to end my life. That type of progressive victory. Mm -hmm. 
So it could not for me be two steps forward and one step back because that's regressive victory over lust or the regressive defeat by lust really I think is the better way to put it. For me, when the God of my understanding would reveal more and more things about the way that lust was hiding from me or I was hiding from it, that's when in discussion with my sponsor and by agreement, I would add to my own uh, understanding of what the ways that I use lust. And still, though, the decision about whether I actually drank in lust or didn't drink in lust would come based on whether I did so willfully or not. And I need help in uh, close cases. A lot of times I know, but sometimes I really don't know. A couple of examples of where I had to add, and these are really, these were excruciating. I don't, I don't know if anyone's going to identify this, but my wardrobe. When I finally was in the program a number of years, I had to go through my wardrobe and look at every single item in my wardrobe and, and ask myself, did I buy that thing because I wanted to turn heads when I put that thing on? And when the answer was given to me, Yes, you did. I had to bring a member of the fellowship over to go through this whole, I went through the whole wardrobe, and I had to give away all those items of clothing because I did. it was my stash. Now, some people may not identify with this, but that was a very powerful stash for me. If anyone had ever told me at any point that when I wore, when I wore that thing, you look good today. Were you in Florida? Or what's going on? You know, Gosh, you look really healthy, or you look... Or if I, if I sensed that I turned ahead when I was wearing that item... Whenever I wanted to turn heads, I would put that item on. So I purged my wardrobe of all those things that I thought were going to get me to turn heads. And um, another thing that's come up lately is reading news articles, because I have to keep myself well informed about all the sexual scandal cases that keep coming up out of Washington, D.C., which is right in my, you know, that's where I live, so I've got to keep informed, don't I? <laughs> and when I realized that I was, you know, I have mixed motives. I am double-minded. And I think I have to keep reading the news and keep up on the news. But the truth was that the result of it was that I was getting, you know, I was having, pardon, excuse me, but I was having genital twinges, things of this nature. And I knew that I needed to just lay off of those things. So that is part of my bottom line now. And um, what's freed me to allow myself uh, to, to say that, you know, if I, if I go back, if I regress into those things, uh, another one, by the way, is buying hair dryers compulsively and blow drying my hair. I had nine hair dryers at one point because I was so afraid if my hair wasn't a certain way and if I didn't have a travel hair dryer, if I didn't have a hair dryer in, you know, 220 and 110, you know, and all these kinds of things, you know, in case I had to be on a generator, I lived in a place where electricity was dicey. So if I had to be on a generator, I'd have low wattage. I could still use air. Every conceivable, you know, one for every occasion, um, that would be regressing because I would be regressing back into that place where I've got to be able to figure out how I can look good enough so I can turn heads. But um, if I, so if today, if I look at an article like that, 
other than where, I mean, willfully, other than when I just happen to be reading something which isn't obvious on its face and then I just happen on that and just sort of, okay, out of here. But if I willfully say, you know, I don't care. I'm going to read that. That's enough for me. You know, I could go from there to zero to 60 in five seconds and I could be in, in my car behind the wheel drive right to an adult bookstore and not even know what happened. And I see that today. So I'm going to... Uh, get close to closing here, just by saying that by adding and not subtracting, I progress, not regress. And that has helped me uh, to fill my life with what God really has for me in this program, which is not just abstaining from bad things, but filling my life with joy and fellowship and love and, and all the things this program really promises because I'm not keeping one foot in the stash and one foot trying to recover or look recovered. So that's really helped me. It's not a perfect deal and I need a lot of help, especially for my sponsor, to keep me sort of, you know, out of being um, uh, scrupulous or self-righteous or whatever. But just to kind of help me make clear, clear decisions about these things. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Lawrence, for your um, experience, strength, and hope. We will now open the floor for sharing. Because our common welfare comes first, here are some guidelines for sharing during the meeting. If you wish to speak, please wait to be recognized by me. And since I don't all know all your names, I'll, I'll use my hand to indicate. And... Um, uh, please wait to be recognized by being no cross-talking, please. Please keep your share to two or three minutes, allowing uh, more people to share his or her experience. Please, uh, you can come to this chair. Uh, I'll move the microphone over. And um, uh, please stay close to the microphone and speak clearly. Our purpose in sharing is to discuss our experience, strength, and hope in recovery. We focus on the SA 12-step approach to recovery. We don't discuss our other 12-step programs, philosophies, therapies, or occupations. We avoid mentioning specific titles or authors of publications other than SA or AA conference-approved literature. We also avoid using abusive language or sexually explicit descriptions. Our emphasis here is recovery, the solution, using the steps in our daily lives. And please remember that this meeting is being taped. The floor is now open. Hello, everyone. I'm Chip. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. I couldn't always say that. Uh, it's taken some time, but that's all right. Uh, I have to own something from this morning. Uh, Lawrence and I were trying to figure out where we met, and uh, uh, we did this questionnaire uh, was it last summer in Maryland, and uh, someone walked by me late that evening, 10 or 11 o'clock, and asked me if I wanted to do some service work. I said, okay. Well, I ended up being a tabulator 
of this till about 1.30 in the morning till I was cross-eyed and finally drew a boundary. Well, um, on question 14, where are you actually at in your lust recovery today? And answer D, I'm not tempted anymore. I think that's where I wanted to go. So I might be that 1% that put that there that we all laughed about. <laughs> and, um, you know, where I come from, our fellowship's fairly young fellowship, and we don't um, focus on the lust topic that often. And that's one reason why I come to as many conventions as I can to get the experience, strength, and hope from the people that have gone before me and to try to carry that back home. And I've, I've heard a lot of good stuff today uh, about not letting lust thoughts stick to your hair. Uh, what I say is uh, I try not to let the uh, drive-by lust thoughts park. And, um, and I know when there's a good chance that they are going to park. Fatigue is my weakness. We talk about the halts of the program. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, sick, stressed, or, or what have you. And that's when I have to be most vigilant. But going back even uh, a little before that, I have to know what my lust looks like. And, um, you know, early on I was fortunate enough to, to be able to pay some professionals to help me do that, uh, locked away off the street. And I uh, found it very beneficial out here. And um, I use that in my daily, uh, daily quest. Uh, I can't let lust take root, the way that I know it's taking root is I can get a tingling sensation. I can feel it affect the body. And um, even before that, I can feel it like a haze coming over my mind, uh, like a drug. I'm a recovering addict, so I, I relate to that drug analogy very well. And... Um, one of the ways of dealing with it, okay, one of the ways I deal with it is through prayer, through prayer loops, through healthy thought, uh, recognition of it, and uh, as sooner I can get to it, the quicker I can dispel it. It's good seeing everyone. Thanks. Hello, my name's Dana. I'm a currently sober sexaholic from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I really appreciate the uh, word progressive in the uh, progressive victory statement, and because not because it's a cop-out, <laughs> but because that's really been the reality for me. Uh, the progressive victory that I've experienced was, uh, you know, involved several things, a progressively deeper understanding of my lust and what when I was drinking, uh, tied to a progressive, uh, progressively quicker surrender or reaching out for help. When I first came in, it was really obvious some things. All right, lusting. All right, progressive victory. Forget 
tomorrow I'll stop looking at magazines or going to clubs. Right now I had to stop going to any clubs, stop looking at pornography, videos, por- you know, magazines, any of that. That was obvious. I had to stop that. But then later on, I started to realize I was getting hits in other places. Uh, there were certain TV shows while I'm flipping around between whatever, ESPN and whatever. There were some, some shows I could just tell I lingered a little bit, uh, hoping to get a hit off of. And I don't have any of the pay stations or movies or anything like that, just on regular, regular cable. There's plenty of, uh, I won't name them. Yeah, I'm sure you have your own. But I realized, you know, that's lusting for me. And I had to start giving that away and stop doing that. And uh, if, if immediately upon recognizing that, I said, all right, well, next time I do it, I'm not sober, that wouldn't have worked for me. Because as I've gone further and further, uh, deeper manifestations of lust have been become a little harder to surrender. I've had to work the steps on them. So uh, I, like the, uh, I like the progressive nature. The same thing with, uh, you know, in the big book, a lot of people, I think, uh, misquote Bill, when he says, you know, uh, they think he says, we strive for progress, not perfection. He doesn't say that. (laughs) He says, we claim progress, not perfection. He's striving for perfection. If you read those steps, that's what we're supposed to strive for. And I'm striving for being able to, every time I'm tempted by lust, to call God in and let him take it instead of me taking a drink. But I'm not there yet, but I'm getting through his grace, closer and closer. Very quickly, there were, there were uh, uh, a couple things I wanted to mention that helped me get to where I am now, where I don't have to lust. Uh, first of all, a progressively progressive understanding of what lust is. Um, and Roy Kay is the authority on that, and he has a lot of great stuff written, taped, if you've ever heard, read or heard uh, that look, or a view from the pew, uh, anatomy of a look, not the one in Recovery Continues, but the one he shared in conferences and in a different book where he dissects what lust is, that look, drinking in of lust, and he shared about just that, the force of lust, uh, the demonic nature of it, whatever it is, it clearly can take control of me or used to take control of me a lot. And I need to recognize it's not a play toy and lust wants to kill me. But it would like to use me to hurt as many people as it can before it kills me. All right, and the, and the more I forget that, uh, the less likely I am to fight it. Um, and then also progressively learning what my defects are and working the steps. Progressively learning what my higher power is, and finally, I won't stick to this one, but abstinence. Uh, a lot of people write about abstinence. I didn't want to hear about abstinence. Uh, everyone I've talked to who's tried it has really helped them get to another level of uh, victory over lust. Thanks for letting me share. My name is Bob, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic from Akron, Ohio. Been sober since April of 05. Been in the program since 93. Um, progressive victory over lust. Uh, that, that's, that's one of those baffling, baffling terms that I've heard. Um, our disease is progressive, and I know that. Um, so it just makes sense that, you know, my victory would be progressive also. I mean, I, I didn't, uh, you know, I fell down this hole inch by inch, so getting out of it is you know, I need to get out of it inch by inch also. Um, <clears throat> I can relate to the to the previous sharing about uh, 
you know, I was in a parking lot um, one one time uh, cruising, just wanting to wanting to act out with another man, and, uh, and but not wanting to. Um, and uh, a guy pulled up alongside me, and we started talking. And I said, I said, you know, I am a sexaholic, and I don't want to be here, um, but I'm here. And you know, angels come in many different forms, and I, and I, I think I've encountered many of them in my life. But this guy said, "Well, then you should probably just go home." And uh, so I did. <laughs> That in itself really baffled me. Um, not that that was the last time that I ever acted out or at least thought about it, because it, it happens every day. Um, the thing, I guess, one, one thing that occurred to me when somebody else was sharing was, um, you know, when I when I first started to get sober, they talk about all these other character defects that start to bubble up to the surface, and that happened. Um, you know, all of a sudden, when I wasn't acting out anymore sexually. I was just angry. I remember being in an AA meeting and I heard a guy say, I'm, I'm been sober, so I'm, I'm stark raving sober. That's what he said. And I thought, wow, boy, that, that fits for me. I'm sober, but I am stark raving mad. And I was just extremely angry. I guess that was a withdrawal symptom for me, just the anger. I was just angry all the time. Sober, but angry. Um, so the anger and resentment were my top plates. Um, Self-pity has certainly been a top plate, and and I have learned, and through the grace of this program, I've, I've been able to deal with those major character defects, which lead me to lust. Um, um, but um, today, my top plate is lust. Again, um, I don't. I was sharing in that previous previous meeting um, that was about lust, and. Uh, you know, I still lust. It's just every day. You know, I see an attractive woman, and uh, automatic lust is automatic, and uh, I just it baffles me. Why, why does this happen? Continue to happen. I've been around this program for 15 years. Won't this go away? Um, but it doesn't. But the difference is today, I don't have to act upon it. I have a choice. I have tools, and uh, through you know the help of this fellowship, I, I can use those tools mainly surrender. Giving that person, you know, surrendering that lust, at praying for that person, um, and uh, that's uh, that's been progressive victory. Uh, that's part of the progressive victory for me. And like they say, more shall be revealed, and I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. I'm Joe. I'm a sexaholic from New Jersey. Um, I've been in, uh, coming to SA for a while, and uh, progressive is, uh, I don't know what the right term is, but that's the right term for it. And the one thing that I recently learned, and it was on a CD, I believe it's approved literature, but uh, I got it at an SA meeting, and uh, talks about lust, and the speaker mentioned um, the responsibility and it's really helped me in the last two weeks, is that I manufacture adrenaline in my brain. And 
that is a drug that, and I, I really couldn't get my arms around this concept of lust and progressive victory. I didn't really know, you know, Webster's definition of what that really meant and greed and all that stuff, but that concept that that speaker gave me has helped me tremendously in my responsibility in thinking about it. And, you know, not acting out is one thing, but walking around <laughs> with those thoughts for years and uh, has really been uh, the big driving problem. And now I see why it's so important in the literature, in the white book. And, uh, you know, so I just wanted to share that. Maybe, I don't know if you can comment at all about the biological manifestation that happens after you know, the thought processor, it seems like more just mental, but it becomes this whole other thing very rapidly, and it just escalates and leads to a uh, potential um, uh, a fall, basically. So I don't know if you have any experience with that or comment. Thank you. Paul, a sexaholic. Uh, my big question about lust at, at first is why is there so much GD cleavage in the world? Uh, that questionnaire, uh, the last question about what what aspect of things you pay attention to, etc. You know, pornography, other people, romantic fantasy, whatever. I think for me. The problem has been lust after myself in a particular way. Uh, I've said something this morning earlier about how God took Internet pornography off my shoulders without my asking, and I'm profoundly grateful for that. After which, of course, I asked if he wouldn't simply take midnight masturbation off my shoulders as well. That wasn't so easy. And I realize now that I, for the past roughly month, I guess, I've had a little better luck with that. Partly it's been <coughs> abstinence and partly it's been simply uh, surrender. Uh, what I realize is that the, what happens to me at 2 o'clock in the morning is not that I am lusting after any particular part of my, uh, any particular person or even my whole person, I'm lusting after sensation. Uh, and so when I wake up uh, aroused and wanting sensation, guess where God is? He's a million miles away. And of course, the old saying is quite true. If God is far away, who's moved? Uh, all I can say is that I'm, I am grateful that now, little by little, I seem to be uh, achieving some some sort of progressive, progressive victory over lust after myself. And it, it feels pretty good. And I I credit this program with about 90% of that. Thanks. My name is Jeff. I'm grateful to be a sexaholic. The reason there's so much of that in the world, the way uh, uh, what the previous person shared. I, I get triggered by uh, by women in dress revealing also, um, and I find myself asking myself or, or wanting to ask, 
the woman. You know, what, what possesses you to dress that way? Men just like me, who won't give attention to a woman, or used to be that way, won't give attention to a woman unless, you know, they're sexually attractive. Um, and that's, that's uh, you know, that's the extent of my commentary on, uh, on sociology. Um, progressive victory over lust, um, how do I attain it? Um, in the moment of temptation, it's, there's really not a progression for me. It's either I'm going to lust or I'm not going to lust. It's either a zero or a one. Um, but the frequency of, of when I give in to lust um, uh, is less. Um, I'll, I'll give in less often if I'm working my program. If, um, if I'm able to surrender the images when I go to bed and I or surrender the images at the time uh, and I pray for the objects of my lust. Um, and uh, also if I avoid obvious places and television stations, uh, that uh, that will lead to temptation. Um, it's, it's impossible for me to avoid all temptation, but I know that I can avoid some of the obvious temptations. Uh, and that that certainly helps me. Um, but uh, uh, it's all about surrender. Um, uh, and what I need to focus more on is being more accountable about making a contact with somebody else, about giving it up to God instead of saying to myself, oh, well, I can handle it. And I can just, I just turn away and try not to think about it. Have you ever tried not to think about something? Um, that's that's real difficult but if I sincerely give it up to God then it does go away Um, and uh, I'm progressively uh, doing that more often as I see the results uh, and as I have faith that uh, that it will be taken away thanks for letting me share I'm Tom, grateful recovering sexaholic. Wow. In keeping with the uh, Virginia coalition, including our speaker <laughs> and a few others, um, one thing that I've realized in my up and down road of um, progressive victory over lust is, in the White Book, when it when lust is defined as taking a natural desire, making it serve a natural purposes, the White Book talks about food and and sexual. Lust. But there's another lust that I have seen recently um, iterated in one of the essays that I find that I struggle with, and it's called the lust for knowledge. And a lot of times for me, that's that's a driving underlying driving thing is is the lust for knowledge. Sometimes that knowledge is of a sexual nature. Sometimes it's not. Um, it's kind of like the old adage: "If curiosity was killing the cat, it's killing me too." Um, and I have found that. Th- that in addition, that, that in my trusting of my higher power that He will take care of me, and this has been this has been a tough one, is He will reveal to me what I need to know to get along in life. And so I have found that that's another biggie as well as uh, as the more common um, attraction issues. Um, my recovery is by no means perfect, um, even though I've been around these rooms for a while. 
Um, but I, I like others desire to be to that point that I am not tempted. I would like to be to the point I'm not tempted by lust. And actually, the truth is, I'll always be tempted by lust. I just want to get to the point that I never give in to it. Thank you. Hi, Sam. I'm a sexaholic. Um, someone had asked earlier in their share about the phys- physical aspect of it and just wanted to mention, uh, because I have a, uh, a daughter-in-law who has something called scrupulosity, which is an obsessive-compulsive disorder having to do with cleaning, and I have a nephew who has an obsessive-compulsive disorder with hand-washing, and I have my father has an obsessive-compulsive disorder with about everything except uh, probably breathing. Um, really, it's very sad to see it. Um, you should do some Internet searches on that because, I mean, what we have underneath this is a whole physical obsessive-compulsive disorder that goes on. And then what's brilliant about the program has been actually the whole underlying personality or character defects that are that are then tied to that, that brings us into these rooms. And so I just want to, for 30 seconds, share, because I I definitely had the obsessive-compulsive disorder. I was masturbating during my real height, usually at least six times a day, and I was like 50 years old. I mean, that's pretty... People were actually impressed by that, and I was like incredibly depressed by it. Um, and, and that is what I've been finding now is the progressive victory is really progressive observations of things that are underneath the what were there as the compulsive behaviors and and the most recent one has been around loneliness and I, I've been found I'm, I'm married I'm, I'm, you know for many of us I'm sure I know I, I have it and your wife will be in like in another room so I'm not alone and I finally understood that it wasn't that I was alone and, and that's what made me angry at her like you know, why isn't she here but it was something really deeply existential I mean I just feel so lonely and that has led to the other piece of the progression I'll end with this is then it started to explain to me why I'm so misconnected because <laughs> if you really feel really really lonely if I feel incredibly lonely the next thing is well what do I do to really make that connection all of a sudden I'm connecting to everything that is you know unholy which is to myself as was just shared or to uh, objects or people that uh, will somehow fill that absolutely incredibly deep black hole and so the progressive victory, and it's very short term right now, the progressive victory has been to um, really look at the next stage underneath all the obsessive behaviors and ask, look at each one of those and say, okay, I am feeling lonely. Okay, feel it for the first time. And that's been really amazing. Thank you. I'm Mike, a sexaholic, and I'm really grateful to be here. I remember uh, when I first came in the program, I heard this topic, progressive victory over lust and over sobriety, over this, over that, and I was ready to throw up because I thought I'd had plenty of progressive victory over a lot of things in life except for sexaholism. And one of the things that really, really helps me in progressive victory is service. And uh, 
a few months ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was ready to go to bed, and I was holding my eyelids open. And Lawrence asked me to, just like Chip, can you do some tallies for us? Oh, sure, why not? And I thought it would be maybe a half hour, and I was there for a couple hours. And I'll tell you, one of the questions was how, how long have you had sexual or lustful sobriety? And I put down five days. And, and I, I had to be rigorously honest about that because that really is, I had some lustful thoughts. Now I go back and took an inventory for the last several years. Being in this program is first year in the program, man, I was, I didn't have really a problem with lustful desire because it was, I was scared of losing everything. But one point, one, almost one and a half, a little over one and a half years of people, of the people that commented on that, having free from lustful de- desires or lustful sobriety, I'm thinking, man, that's an awful lot. I don't know how they do it. And I wanted that. Come back to think that it's one day at a time for me. Today, with God's help, I will have those lustful desires taken away from me. But I have to let him help me do it. And really, going to these conventions, uh, my first convention was in Los Angeles. And I went there. I was roped into going there by, by a few of my friends that were on the committee working on it that I had met in the program. And I said, oh, that's okay. And I really didn't go there but to find lustful objects. And I had a tough time of really wanting to be in any meetings. So I didn't go to the next one after that, but I've been to almost every one since. Because I found in reviewing the tapes, listening to the tapes of the conventions, there is something there for me to help me gain that progressive victory over lust. And it's people like you, your willingness to step forward. Even if you have one day sobriety or no sobriety, there's something you have for me. And that's the willingness to show up. Dress up and show up. And I'm grateful for this topic because it's progressive. And it is a victory with God's help. Thank you. My name is Mike. I'm a sexaholic. I'm powerless over lust. Uh, I want to be free from lust. I want uh, sobriety from lust. I've been uh, sober sexually for eight years. I'm very thankful for that gift. I haven't acted out with myself or another person in eight years. But this is really a wonderful topic. Uh, I'm learning a lot. Uh, I want to say, first of all, uh, that uh, general tingling, yes, that's uh, desirable sometimes. And that uh, adrenaline rush is desirable sometimes. And I think when I willfully hold on to that kind of stuff, then I'm lusting. I do know in my life in the last years, I know when I'm lusting and I I know when I'm not lusting. But I don't know what lust is. (laughs) I don't know what lust is. Uh, And then the other thing, one other thing I like to say, and that is uh, I don't care. That's when I find out I'm lusting. I don't care. What I do is not important. I'm not important. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And that's a character defect on my part. Thank you.
Dick, a sexaholic from Springfield, Virginia. Um, when I read the White Book uh, definition of, of lust, an attitude demanding that natural instincts serve unnatural desires, that opened my eyes. Uh, my problem is my attitude. It's not my behavior, it's my attitude, as, as was shared before. Um, my attitude is, is selfish when I'm lusting. There's some ways in which self, you know, we have to love ourselves, but for me, I can tell when I'm being not good to myself and when I'm, um, I'm hurting others by my selfishness. Uh, the progressive victory over lust, for me, uh, is changing my attitude or a- asking God to change my attitude. And the most uh, effective prayer for me when I get a lust temptation is, God, please change my lust into love. Uh, because if I'm praying for somebody that I would want to lust after, first of all, I'm talking to God, and I'm wishing well of the other person. So my attitude is changing. The attitude of lust also includes, for me, uh, self-righteousness, uh, judgmentalism, and I'm guilty of that still. And where the progressive nature comes in for me is getting more and more out of myself and trying to be good to other people. And uh, I still have a long way to go. I know Roy mentioned, I think, at the conference in Cranford years ago about the 12 stages of recovery that he found himself going through. And I don't remember them, but I remember the last one was like feeling some of the same love for other people that God has for that other person. And that's progress. He said he's not there yet. I know I'm not there yet. But I think that's the progress that we're aiming toward. That's what I'd like to be. Thanks. I'm Bill, a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi, Bill. I've had uh, about 11 years sobriety. And I remember when I came into the program, I thought, well, I'll get the answers quick here and then I'll be okay. Um, and I realized that uh, I had to make a list of things I could and could not do. Uh, but they were half less because one of the things that I initially believed was that I could uh, I, I couldn't watch uh, television I couldn't watch certain movies uh, but what I could do is when the scenes were on the screen I closed my eyes but that didn't help really because I was hearing what was going on and my imagination was playing with it and so I was I was lusting but in my head initially I thought no I'm 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 not lusting um, also when I go into restaurants I've always made a rule that I have to sit with my back to the wall. Well, that's fine. I thought, well, I got this one in hand, but, you know, if there was a mirror up on the wall, I could still see what was going on behind me, and I would watch and look. So, you know, I I realized that I had half-measured that that particular activity. Uh, Also, for me, uh, I have to quantify things, and initially I was able to profile the kind of women that were triggers for me. a lot of my acting out was with was outside my marriage, and I could I could profile a woman pretty well. So, if I were in a uh, a scene or in a, a situation, a social scene, as long as the woman wasn't fitting my profile, then it was all right for me to talk to her and look at her and 
But I realized very quickly that it didn't matter what kind of a woman it was, it was still a trigger for me. So I guess initially uh, I thought it would be quick fix, you know, and as I moved, as I moved forward, I realized that I'm always going to be adding to the list, never taking off the list, but there's going to be other things I have to do in order to, uh, to uh, avoid acting out. So it's progressive victory over lust, and it just never stops for me. Thanks. Jim, I'm a sexaholic from uh, Little Falls, New Jersey, and I've been in the program for about three and a half years, and when I think of progressive victory, I think my early days in the uh, the program, sort of the first year, my life was falling apart, and uh, just hanging on to physical sobriety was all I could do, and, uh, and I'm glad that worked out that way, but um, the second year was a lot tougher because I was dry but I was still crazy, and I didn't like that feeling at all. Um, the things I've done that have worked, when I first got in the program, I got lucky. I made a couple of good choices, uh, one of which was to stop watching television at all. And, uh, and I have not looked at you know, erotic images or things along those lines. So for three years, I haven't gotten that sort of image, but my memory's excellent. And so those things are still floating around in my head, um, less vividly than they were, but they're still up there. Um, a while ago, my wife and I went through a period of abstinence, and it was a blessing, unlike anything I could have imagined. Um, it was only in that that I recognized how much I was using lust with her to hang on to lust, and I was... Uh, for the for the first time, I was able to parse out physical sobriety versus lust. I mean, I could I read the words, I I could quote them back to you, but it didn't make sense in my mind until I had that period of sort of absolute freedom from uh, an expectation of you know physical intimacy and uh, whether with myself and my mind, with my wife, with anyone else. And it was in that period that I was able to pull those things apart, and uh, and and that gave me the insight, I think. To really battle lust effectively, that when the, the I feel the urges coming up, I'll change my physical spot, my space, move. Um, I'll get something else in my mind. I'll look at it and say, "Hey, your lust, I don't want this. Um, go away." And on the whole, it it does. Um, so that has been a real blessing for me, and it's been a long time coming, though. It's been uh, again a little over three years, um, but there is hope out there, and uh, I, I'm very blessed to be in that position now. Thank you. It's about time to close our meeting. I'd like to add just one uh, experience to, as we close the meeting. Um, the word craving is used in the AA Big Book about alcohol. And uh, a friend of mine in the program met with myself and my 17-year-old son uh, who was uh, working through whether he was a sexaholic or not. And he used the example of peanut butter sandwiches, which my son has pretty much every day for lunch. And he says, Matt, are you, you know, real excited about that peanut butter sandwich? Are you thinking, boy, I can't wait till lunch rolls around tomorrow to have a peanut butter sandwich? And he said, no, really, I can't wait till I can figure out something else to eat for lunch. So how about masturbation or looking at pornography? Does that 
when you do it, do you, do, you, do you have this sense, oh my God, I can't wait till it happens again, or I'm looking forward to it, I'm thinking about it. He said, yeah. He says, well, then you've got the craving. And for me, that's what lust is connected to, is this craving inside of myself. If I've started to lust, I'm, I'm craving more. It's just, as soon as I start, the craving's kicked in. So uh, it's been great. Thank you, Lawrence, for sharing, for uh, living today lust-free and, uh, and helping us. It's got me thinking about my wardrobe, unfortunately. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, we're grateful. I would like to thank uh, Lawrence and everyone who shared their experience, strength, and hope today. Let me summarize a few of the recovery. Oh, I did that. Remember, this is an anonymous program. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside. Please keep any names, addresses, or phone numbers you learn about in SA to yourself. And what we say here, let it stay here. After a moment of silence for the sick and suffering inside and outside these rooms, let us close with the third step prayer. And if people are comfortable, let's form a circle and uh, we'll do the third step. An abnormal circle, perfect for our fellowship. Great. <laughs> God, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of my self that I may be better than I will. Take away my difficulties, take away my difficulties, and bear with me to those as I will. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.